your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the last college football podcast standing. Are we? Um, I <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I've consumed probably less sports media in the last three months than in any previous three month period of my life since at least 2002 2001 maybe was probably the last time I consumed less sports there's been you know the occasional accidental bowling match those have been on TV a little bit more but other than that this is probably the longest quiet period I've had in a while I couldn't tell you what else even exists out there anymore I, I'm, I'm aware of NASCAR's existence to the extent that they've found absolutely every conceivable way to get themselves into the news cycle from during the entire pandemic because they've run the gamut from from being the first back with virtual racing that was you know the closest I, you could <laughs> you could do a virtual sports. I kind of love that. <laughs> so then a couple weeks into that, a guy lost his sponsor because he rage quit. Uh, during a race and then said it didn't matter on Twitter. Um, <laughs> ironically, that man was Bubba Wallace and that sponsor was going to sponsor his car for Martinsville. Because he didn't have a sponsor for Martinsville, he ran the Black Lives Matter car. Uh, <laughs> and then a week after that, um, my favorite wheelman, Kyle Larson, lost his ride for, for saying a very prominent N-word on a NASCAR-sanctioned stream. And then... They returned to racing um, with no fans, prompting really awkward, lonely burnouts from the winners. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then they banned the Confederate flag. And then, I mean, if you, even if you haven't seen any racing, you know they're in the headlines. Right. It's kind of... I mean, I, you're much better positioned to say this than I would, but it feels as though NASCAR decided now is the time, because I mean, in the deafening vacuum of other sports content, that now really is the time to make their pivot away from the Confederate flag crowd, I guess you could call it, to a mainstream corporatized appeal is that I mean am I right about that? Oh yeah I mean what NASCAR is ruled by more than anything else is money because money is what makes professional level racing go. Well it's, it's okay all professional sports let's not pretend they're any yeah. different there than everything all the way down to the to the biggest high school level. That's true it's just that, that racing at the top level tends to need a lot more money because of because you have development costs and everything you, you can you can more easily piss away money in auto racing than in any other sport because, you know, owning football teams doesn't come with a lot of high ownership. Um, you see a lot more people fail in race team ownership than in other sports team ownership. Although America is set up so that no sports team owner outside of racing is allowed to fail. But anyway, the money, you know, the, 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 the people whose job it is to, the people that NASCAR is relying on to keep that, those sponsor money, those sponsor monies rolling in have clearly recognized that, okay, we're going to at some point going to have to culturally pivot in such a way that we don't lose people under 40 forever. 
You know, cars are fun and all, but if you want actual thrilling, high-octane racing, uh, marble races, I recommend. Because it basically, basically the whole thing, the whole event is like the last two laps after a caution. Like, it, you know, it, yeah, it's so just like, laps, okay, yeah. ready, set, go! And that's Except the whole it's thing. also a spec racing series, so it's really more like <laughs> yeah. IROC yeah. back in the day. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so anyway, we're now several minutes into it. This is Off Toggle Empire, Off Tackle Empire's only sanctioned podcast. Um, you know, the Northwestern Cabal runs their illicit underground Off Tackle Empire podcast, but this is the official version. I'm Andrew Kraszewski. The other guy talking is Steve Braun. Uh, we are back after an obvious lengthy <laughs> hiatus because really what was there for us to talk about relating I mean, to college sports other than... I think the last thing that we talked about was we we gathered together after the last weekend of the Big Ten basketball regular season to talk about the uh, the Big Ten tournament, which lasted all of two games yeah. <laughs> yeah. before March 11th, 2020, the longest day of our lives. So far. <laughs> so far. Um, I think election was, day is going to knock it right off that pedestal. Uh, we'll you see. say that, but you're only talking about election day, day one. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. Because, and yeah. you've seen the Kentucky primaries, <laughs> right? They just called a winner today. It yeah. was a week ago. Yeah. Because they're counting. Yeah. So prepare for election week, by the way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just... I. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what I hope about my employment situation. Then, if I'm going to have a gap in my in my employment, if I'm going to have one, I'd like to time it around then, so that I don't have to be accountable for just being like drunk for an entire week. <laughs> just like, well, yeah. As another great engineer, Ray Arnold once said shortly before a lost rapper chewed his arm off, "Hold on to your butts." <laughs> um, so, we, from a programming standpoint. Big Ten 2020, as most of you listening will probably know, is on a very condensed schedule because for a while it wasn't clear there was going to be a season. Now, apparently, despite many indicators to the contrary of it being a good idea, um, in a lot of places we are barreling towards trying to have a season, but we're sitting here on June 30th. Who knows? By this weekend, things could have changed so much that they pull the plug on even the concept of it and we'll talk about for nothing, but we may as well. We may as well. Everything has gone through structural change. There's been a lot of upheaval uh, during these uncertain times. We want to assure you that we are more committed than ever to providing you with the college football hot takes that you need to survive these uncertain and troubled times. I got one of those emails from Kohl's where I haven't shopped since 2008. So apparently they really do hold on to your information forever. I need to change my email address, I tell you, but... uh, We're going to be doing brief podcast sections to accompany the kind of double stacks, the double stuff, if you will. This is, I mean, this Off Tackle Empire Summer Programming has basically just become a double stuffed Oreo of sports previews. So, have you had the most stuff Oreo? No, because there is a limit to decadence that I'm willing to allow to enter into my life. And I draw the line at, like, triple stuff. I mean, most stuff has to be, what, like a quintuple stack? Like, they just don't put it because people won't know what the word is. Um, I mean, I, I generally just, you know, take the double stuffs and engineer eight stuffs out of them. Well, this is why you got the engineering degree, was for practical applications and everyday problems such as this. It makes me think of the meme from Chappelle's show, like, modern problems acquire modern solutions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, <laughs> I can't get this complete well, thought well, out. Yes, so we're, we're doing the point these, is that yeah. we're doing this sports content. We're not just doing football. We're talking about the implications of the sports that we didn't quite get get to wrap up because you know, like all of us, we're all in this together. Yeah, um, so we will be doing it mostly football stuff, but also a little bit of basketball chat just to recap what happened. Kind of put a bow on last season to the extent that, I mean, really, unfortunately, it was one of the better basketball seasons from a Big Ten perspective in recent memory. Extremely competitive. My God, I still think about that Illinois-Iowa game at the end of the season. Really, both of them, because they had two in, like, a two-week span that were, like, the most heated basketball games that I can honestly remember yeah, in it, a long time. Which is good, by the way. It, I totally agree. We need a couple of Cincinnati-Xavier intensity rivalries in Big Ten basketball. It doesn't feel like we've had that recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, man, so Illinois versus Iowa. I wanted to see that because that was set up for the Big Ten tournament. If Chalk held, that was going to be a Some third round right. game. Yeah. So, oh, man. I can't believe that we – I mean – I think that we're all a little poor for missing out on round three. Yeah, it was a great season. Um, unfortunately, because Big Ten 2020 is oriented around reverse order of football finish, before we can get to any of the fun basketball stuff, we got to talk about Rutgers football. So let's all hold our noses together and get into this. And we'll get, we'll get it over with as quickly as we can. It'll be like taking not a spoonful, but like five spoonfuls of fish liver oil. Like, did you ever have to do that when you were a kid? Because they told you it would prevent, <laughs> like, diphtheria or something. So you had to, you know, take the disgusting stuff. So, well, But I'm going to I'm gonna go right on ahead here with a Winflight Tribe Rooster of the Week, which is Oberon by Bells. Because Oberon Day happened this year. I don't even know what time it, it probably, is it's usually, it's usually right around St. Patrick's Day, so it probably would have been, like, a week or two after. Although I think because of the shutdown, they... They did it early and just like, okay, it's on the shelves now, go get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Oberon was the first non-domestic beer, you know, the, the non-Natty Light slash uh, Steel Reserve tier of beer that we had access to. Less so, reserve. Yeah, um, for truly desperate times. So it's been around for a long time. But yeah, I, I think shortly after, it usually comes out in May or in March, like right around St. Patrick's Day, so I think when the shutdown happened, they're just like, "I right, never mind. We'll we won't wait till the things to your habit." Uh, and it's obviously become considerably less of a monument since of the proliferation of craft beer. But I'm serious. Like when I was in college, this was the non-domestic that you could get. That was it. Otherwise, you were drinking. You you were fancying yourself up if you went and got Labatt. Um, so <laughs> that's. <laughs> It's always had a good place in my heart. It is still a good summer beer. I do feel like it's not quite as good as it used to be, but maybe that's just the passage of time and availability of other drinks. And I have no idea if you can still get Legends Special Ale on tap at Legends. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for a while there, it was, uh, I don't know. I just, I know it's probably worse, but give me, give me LSA. It seems appropriate in my chief line of my logo glass. Um, anyway... Nunzio Campanile. Didn't that seem like that was like five years ago? Yeah, it feels like a lot of time has passed, but you can say that about you know, pretty much anything, really. Um, a guy who was put in an impossible position. He was retained by the new staff, though, wasn't he? Isn't he still I think there? so, yeah. I mean, because that's, that's an important you know, high school football family. Apparently so, yeah. 
Um, and the hiring of Greg Schiano. So we panned it at the time. I guess with the benefit of a little more hindsight, who else were they going to hire that really looks like a better candidate on paper? Like, that's always a fair question to ask. And so far, obviously, this has been unprecedented territory for everyone. But so far, he's done a lot of the right things. I mean, he's already off to a little bit better recruiting start, I believe, than Rutgers had been recently. He he it correctly assessed the state of the roster and grabbed as many transfers as he possibly could to give the team an infusion of talent right away. And we'll go through those in a little bit more detail, but a lot of those guys are going to help and help immediately. It's still going to be by far the worst roster in the Big Ten. Well, when it comes to fired Tampa Bay Buccaneers coaches and you're hiring one for college program, you want to see immediately that they know what it's going to take to succeed at, you know, at the college level. And did Herman Edwards ever coach for Tampa Bay? Man, I did not know that. <laughs> and the thing is about, you know, yes, you can say that his prior record at Rutgers shows that, but he's also got to show that he still has the the handle on it and the uh, the, the the will to do it. You know? Yeah. And he's, he, so far, he's demonstrated nothing short of that. No, there's no shortage of energy, but... Well, and the other thing is, it's, it's always interesting when an old coach comes back because you think a lot of there's going to be something of a temptation to get the gang back together, but he didn't do that. He reached outside of his coaching family, so to speak. He got Sean Gleason from Oklahoma State to run his offense, and then Rob Smith, a guy from Texas A&M, to coordinate the defense. Not guys that I'm aware of having any connection to him or Rutgers before. From Texas A&M by way of Minnesota. Yeah, so this is, I'm talking about, like, Yes. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. By way of Minnesota. Sure, sure, sure. So, a couple of new coordinators. Um, that said, it's hard to talk about where a team's going to go and what expectations for them are without looking at where they've been. And so, with a wince, we're going to take one last look back at Rutgers 2019, where Chris Ash is fired a few games into the season. And, I mean, really, the most interesting thing from there is that his starting quarterback and best player, Raheem Black, well, starting quarterback, Art Sikowski, and his running back, his best player, Raheem Blackshear, both said, yeah, you know, we're going to go ahead and preserve our own ability. We're not wasting our college careers on this season. And, boy, were those guys correct to do that. All right. So, uh, it, yeah, it's hard to blame... Blackshear and Sikowski for sitting out. You do wonder, however, if losing those two guys may have contributed to the exact depths of what we saw from Rutgers on offense last year because it was an utter disaster. Um, their season-long you know, raw statistics and scoring averages and everything are bad enough, but the thing is, they had, in their two wins, their two outlier games, really, they had massive offensive outliers in the positive direction. So they got 48 points against UMass and 44 points against Liberty. Those are their two wins. In the rest of their 10 games, they were shut out four times and they were held to one score or less three other times. Yeah, uh, so if you take out those two wins, it's um, pretty horrifying. Uh, now, Blackshear, I think the loss of Blackshear definitely took some of the ceiling off of their offense, uh, gave them a lot less explosion especially because he was their leading receiver last year but um, well by the end by the end of the season Bo Melton did end up with more stats than him but that's also no I mean in terms of receptions 
That, that may or may not be the case. I think by the end I'm of talking the year, about 2018. Black Shear definitely oh, had the most. Oh yeah, yeah, receptions. coming. Yeah, right, sure. Um, and most yards. Yeah, and so then, despite the fact that Blackshear was able to maintain his red shirt, which means he only played in four games, he was still Rutgers' second leading receiver by a wide margin. Like Bull Mountain was the only guy who had anywhere near. And again, his raw stats were a little bit better, but that's with the entire season Mountain needed to pass what Blackshear did in four games. Um, Once again, pretty bleak stuff. The fun, yeah, here. and the funny thing is, of course, outside of those two wins, their highest scoring total was against Ohio State. Um, which, <laughs> yep. but, but again, that's that's a product of how the game flow went, where Ohio State started pulling guys in the second quarter because the game was over. Um, yeah, it, it was truly awful. It, uh, there's, we, it feels like we said this about Rutgers' offenses in the past, but really, like, where is there to go but up for this unit? Um, looking then at what you can expect from that this year. Um, Sikowski actually ended up sticking around. Shiano convinced him to stay. They still have Johnny Langan, who ended up playing the bulk of the season last year. He's there. Uh, Johnny Langan strikes me as a guy that would come out of nowhere to win the starting job at a max school that doesn't generally go bowling and lead them to a bowl game. On the, you know, the kind of guy that outplays his athleticism isn't necessarily the best passer, isn't necessarily the best runner, but like you know, knows how some, to make the plays. Yeah, and it has just a, somehow works. And but this that kind of thing is a lot easier <laughs> to do in the Mac. Yeah, this ain't the Mac. Uh, that is here. So And so keeping that, keeping those facts in mind and the fact that, you know, Sikowski has himself shown a real propensity for throwing the ball to the other team or just to nobody in particular, um, Chiano also brings in Noah Vedral, the transfer most recently from Nebraska, originally a UCF guy who lost out on his chance to win the quarterback job um, in Lincoln. So they've got another option there. And, you know, outside of Blackshear, they've got pretty much the whole receiving group intact. It's fair to say they were pretty young there last year. Uh, the flip side of that, of course, is none of those guys exactly made the passing game intimidating the last few years. And Isaiah Pacheco is a Good looking back, especially between the tackles, but we found out last year he is not capable of carrying an offense that doesn't have a passing threat. Yeah, I mean, he's he looked like, uh, hate to twist the knife a little, but he looked kind of like a poor man's Raheem Blackshear. Somewhat, um, yeah. They didn't target him nearly as much in the passing game. They did also use Aaron Young a little bit, who looks like he could be a pretty good receiving back, but neither of them are going to bring what Blackshear did. So, like, let's say that Rutgers produces like an 800 yard receiver who is that does anybody have that potential that you're seeing on their roster it would have to be bull mountain yeah that's honestly that's the only guy that i would put in that category as (laughs) as the like if you told me that rutgers had a guy close to a thousand yards after 2020 there's nobody else that would be than bull mountain no and honestly it did feel a little bit like a lot of the stats he got was because there was nobody else to throw to last year um to, you know, to further address their lack of offensive pop, they did go and get a transfer from Wisconsin, Aaron Cruikshank, who has been a, a dynamic-looking threat on kick returns, and I don't know if he's done punts at Wisconsin. I don't think he has. I think he's been a kick returner. They haven't played him from scrimmage much. Wisconsin hasn't. But, he's I mean, he's one of these guys where you see the way he moves. It's like, all right, you might Definite have something here if you, can, if you can figure out how to use him. Maybe he could be a little bit of a giant Janarian Grant. You know, that was kind of the last time Rutgers had an offense worth watching was when they had him and Leonte Carew together. Those were good days, right? So, Man, it's, it's amazing because 
a lot of times you see teams struggle to establish an identity over the course of a coach's tenure. Chris Ash's Rutgers definitely had an identity, which is like not necessarily the worst defense in the world, but absolutely the worst offense you've ever seen. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was consistent. Like, because it felt like watching the same team from 2016, uh, 2018, and 2019. Yeah, and you know, we we talked about not not even this year, but two years ago when they made the decision to go with Sitkowski as a true freshman, throw him in there, let him take his lumps, and basically gamble on his upside. That was really the gamble that cost Ash his job. If he had, it feels as though. If he had gone, found a transfer, a guy he could plug in for a year or two while he tried to build Sikowski into a game-ready quarterback, maybe it would have worked out that he'd still be hanging on, but... And he did try. Yeah. To his credit. He sure. brought in some guys, but Yeah, he brought in McLean Carter, and then the guy oh, had to retire. Kyle Bolden. Yeah, so it's, it is, it's not that he didn't try, but um, because that route didn't succeed and he didn't find a capable starter, he had no choice but to go with... I mean, would there have been a more, a more, a bigger deal recruit he had than Sitkowski? The guy was a four-star. Um, yeah, the guy was uh, highly touted out of a football factory. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I still believe that in the right situation, he could have been a pretty decent pro-style quarterback. I, I, I feel, <laughs> we say this as though he, he finished his career three years ago. He's going to be well, a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, if, if I'm saying it almost <laughs> feels like... It does feel like the book is kind of written on him, which is unfair. The guy it really a, is. There's a it's, lot of time left, but that's how we judge. I mean, especially because of the way... I, I wonder if this is true for you, too. Because of sports being in suspended animation for four months, it feels like everything that has already happened is like a chapter of... It's like a book of the Bible that happened in like antiquity. Like thousands yeah. of years ago, Cassius Winston had a big senior day and got a piece of the title for Michigan State basketball on the last day of the season. And then, like, the book of Exodus happened. <laughs> like, that's well, kind of what it's starting to feel like. A couple of hours ago, um, Illinois and a bunch of, well, some guys that played for Illinois and several that did not, ended the professional basketball career of Aaron Kraft prematurely in the basketball tournament. Oh, my goodness. If this Mike Dom dude had played for Illinois, um, well, John Gross would still be there, so I don't know how good that is, but still... Um, mad props to those guys for, uh, for, for, for prematurely ending the pro career of Aaron Kraft. He decided that this was his last event, and he was knocked out in the first round. Yeah, so now he has to go to medical school or whatever. Um, poor him. So, you mentioned it a minute ago, which is that if Chris Ash had something of a calling card, it was that the defense at least held its own for a while eventually most of the time they did knuckle under under the pressure but to be fair the pressure was enormous because the offense was doing actually nothing. yeah the secondary in particular was an overperforming group but boy if you're going to start from scratch i honestly the secondary would be the last place that i would want to fill. like the secondary would be the place that i would want to fill in the last because yeah. you want to prioritize stopping the run in this league because Coaches you, are generally yeah. don't want to pass unless they have to. Yeah, if you let coaches run on you all day, they're happy to do it. Nobody's going to try to establish a pass. So, work on yeah, so if that's you, the if thing. They can, if teams can run power or you know outside zone, whatever their base is, 40 times against you, they will happily do it. So it was it was hard to even really see the, the one strength that Chris, is, Chris Ash's teams really had because 
when were the secondaries ever going to be tested in coverage? Yeah. So, so to go to try again, we're trying to pivot to yeah. how Greg Schiano is going to be different because he's going to have to do things very differently, and he's already demonstrated that he's uh, pretty willing to do that. He's hitting the transfer market again hard to address the defense, and he got a couple of guys on the defensive line that should be instant impact guys, Malik Barrow. Also a guy who's made two stops recently UCF, Ohio State before that, and also Michael Dwumfor, a big run-stopping tackle out of Michigan, originally from New Jersey, I believe. Yeah, so, a lot of, several of these guys that Chiano has gone after have been Jersey guys. I can't remember who the five-star Penn State receiver was, but it would have been sick if he... Like, when I looked at the transfer... Is that, is that uh, Justin Shorter? Yes. Talking, when yeah. I looked at the transfer portal just to see what Illinois might have cooking... I saw that that guy was from New Jersey, and I was thinking, oh, man, be lit if he goes to the Gers. Yeah, I think he ended up at Florida, which, hard to fault him for that. Yeah, um, but with, with respect to uh, Barrow, that's a guy who's, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're Shiano, you have to, to take chances on, on high upside guys that have had injury problems because sometimes they turn out like, like I don't know, like Kyle Prater at Northwestern, five-star receiver from USC. Sometimes they turn out like Joshi Matarbebe at Illinois, who was held back by injuries and never uh, caught two passes at USC and uh, caught, what, nine touchdowns last year? Yeah, so the other thing is, with the expectations being what they are on paper, what is the harm in rolling the dice and hoping you hit boxcars a couple times? Um, they do have a pretty good linebacking crew. Not that, I mean, that feels like, honestly, like it's been a while since you could say there was a Big Ten team that had a really bad linebacking group. Like, the weakest Hazel teams, like even even it's it seems it feels like it's easy for get to find good linebackers in the Big Ten. So with Fogg and Fadakasi and Tyreek Maddox, Maddox Williams, Rutgers has a pretty good group there. Um, such that another former transfer from Michigan, you know, another former four-star, Drew Singleton, isn't even a starter. Um, so that's got to be the strength of the team. Um, let's take a look then at the schedule again. This is. Assuming it happens. And it's, you know, before we get to that, uh, I wanted to say yet another thing that Greg Schiano is understanding is that it is, you know, there is value to winning three games instead of two games in year one as far as your, your program's prestige is concerned. Every little bit helps. Yeah, so he's scrambling for absolutely every little thing that he can get Although because it's, you, it's, you really have yeah. to do that. It's probably fair to say that this schedule was set before he ever got there, but... Oh, yeah, I'm talking make, about as far yeah. as getting the transfers in. Oh, for sure, guys, yeah, yeah. You know, because a lot of these transfers are almost certainly never going to play in a bowl game for Rutgers. No, and so there's, again, there's the approach Ash tried to take, which is I'm going to take my time and do this right. You don't get that kind of time in modern college athletics, be it basketball or football. You just don't. you got to win quick. You don't have to win right away. But if you do, if you win basically none at all at the beginning – then you got to turn it around dramatically much quicker. So if you have something to build on right away, it's better than having nothing because they're going to expect like two notches of progress. But we'll get to that in the Illinois podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at the schedule, Monmouth should be a win. And then, boy, um, Syracuse isn't great, but they're going to be a lot better this year. And they're sure better than Rutgers already. Syracuse was almost in a Purdue situation last year where they 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 lost some contributors. In Syracuse's case, due to graduation, but also they had they, they they just were never set up to be successful last year, and it was always going to be an anomalous year as far as the trajectory of their program is concerned. 
Yeah. So they'll, they won't be as good as, at, as 10 wins, but they'll certainly be better, better than four. Yeah, and then the other thing is Rutgers has to take a trip to Temple, um, which is Oof. far from a sure thing. Uh, the crossovers are as merciful as you can get for an East team in that you avoid who I think most people would agree are the three favorites in the West in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, in whatever order. We'll have that conversation later. Um, instead, they get Illinois, which should be good, um, Purdue and Nebraska, which are towards the bottom of the division. So that's as friendly as you can get it. You do still have to play the East division. So look, as far as a win-loss record is goes, goes it, that's not really how we're going to measure year one for Shiano. Although, like you said, the difference between two and three or four wins is considerable. If you can get to, I mean, if they get four wins, that's a successful season. I, that's perhaps just a statement on where this program is right now. But four wins is absolutely a success. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, with the talent that Shiano's brought in via transfers. Again, he hasn't built a team that, you know, he hasn't laid the foundations for a team that will that will make a primetime bowl game. But if that if this team Brandon Peters goes down, all of a sudden Illinois is a very winnable game. Right? And this could be enough talent for him to get that one win that proves that, hey, yeah. you know, we're already doing better than three of Chris Ash's seasons. If he gets one big ten win this year, then it was a unqualified home run. And those chances are there. Look, it- Purdue is very much still in flux. Nebraska has disappointed. You mentioned Illinois is thin at certain important spots. Um, Maryland is not a whole lot better off than Rutgers is right now. Oh, no. And nobody knows what Michigan State's going to be this year. Yeah. I personally So there am, are games I'm, on their yeah, schedule I, that, you know, if this infusion of talent shapes up quickly, is coached well, they could have a chance at. Yeah. They, and, and, you know, and I think they... they I think that they will will pick those pick and choose those battles. Yeah, as far two, as two Big Ten wins would be a coup. It would be a major sign that yes, Shiano is the right guy, and maybe we're going to pull this thing out of the ditch. Now, happily for Rutgers fans out there, uh, we're pairing the football previews with basketball, and in recent years, this would have been like a second helping of shit pie. However. Because Rutgers is coming off of the best basketball season in either of our lifetimes, we're both at or around 30, um, happy happy days in the rack, man. Um, the blocking charge cast was very bullish on Gers Skitball in the preseason, and it turned out to be rightfully so. I boldly predicted 10 Big Ten wins to the ridicule of several of my colleagues here at Off Tackle Empire. Not all of them, but I did have the most wins predicted now, I didn't say that they were going to be great, but people you, didn't believe in how... People didn't quite believe in their trajectory. No, I thought that... I, I honestly thought that a substantial improvement from Rutgers was going to look something like 8-12 and 12 in the Big Ten. Right. Um, as you said, you you were by far the most optimistic, and even you undersold them by a game. Um, now, they they hit kind of their high watermark pretty early in the schedule. They crested at 12-3. and three. Um, did well in the non-conference. They There's... picked up a really important win. Yeah, um, Seton Hall. Seton Hall is not only a, you know a team that finished the season ranked, but also that's the that's the basketball team in New Jersey right now. Yeah. So exactly, that's a big statement. Yeah, it is. Um... And they didn't take any particularly bad losses in the non-conference either. No, they had a soft schedule outside yeah. of Seton Hall, but yeah, you don't want to see the loss of St. Bonaventure. But that's—I mean—that's a respectable program at least. They did get a win over Stephen at Boston. Um, took the loss to Pitt in the challenge with the ACC. 
But other than that, the Seton Hall game was really the only notable non-conference test, and they passed it. Um, it turned out that losing Eugene Omarui, which I thought was a big red flag for them, was really not that much of a problem. And I think Steve Peichel made a very savvy move here that's going to get kind of lost because the guy wasn't a superstar, but he convinced Akwasi Yaboa to finish his career at Rutgers, a guy that Peichel had coached only for a minute, but back at Stony Brook. Um, so he lost Omarui, and then he said, hey, man, time to holla at Yaboa. How long have you been had that one in the chamber? <laughs> <laughs> Since the last time we recorded this. Yeah, so that, by the way, if you notice a little bit of change in the sound quality, it's because shortly before or shortly after we started actually talking substance, apparently the audio feed for this one became unusable. So we recorded this together with the Maryland, Nebraska, and Northwestern episodes last week, and then had to redo this one during Rutgers week. I believe what happened was that Zuzu was thinking about Greg Schiano, and that caused a feedback loop within our... It, it, it synchronized with the fact that we were saying positive things were possible with Greg Schiano, and it caused a positive feedback loop in our entire audio just, setup here. It and it eventually it, re- just, it reached the tipping point around the time the fuck out of that, we, <laughs> that, we, that we got into uh, talking about the future. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess this is a good point as I need to point out that just a couple of hours ago, the announcement came down that the Ivy League is not going to play any fall sports this year. If you remember... In an alternate reality, that's Rutger football announcing they're not playing. Sure. Um, My point is, if you remember the many eons ago before the shutdown started, what really was the first domino in canceling and getting all the rest of the sports leagues to pay attention to it was the Ivy League canceling its basketball tournament. Um, We can certainly hope that history isn't repeating itself here, but I mean, if they cancel sports given. I mean, how, I didn't see how many cases we've had yet today, but it's probably another fifty or sixty thousand. I mean, yeah, like, roughly. That's not tenable. So, would you really blame anybody? So anyway, back to happier conversations. Um, getting Yaboa actually emphasized the depth and balance that Rutgers had, which was very impressive. Um, because from one game to the next, you never knew exactly who Rutgers' lead guy was going to be at a given point. If you ask a casual observer, or if you go over the course of the season, Geo Baker is probably the answer here, and he definitely feels like their spiritual leader. But in terms of the best player on the floor from night to night, that changed. I mean, it could Not have been, to mention they missed Geo Baker for a few games and didn't seem to no, noticeably I, struggle as a I'm result. not sure. They, they may have lost a game without him. I think he was out for three weeks or so. Um so yeah, when your best player goes down and you don't really miss much of a step, it shows that you built an impressive roster, which is difficult to do in major conference basketball because guys who are good enough to contribute to a team that good do not want to share the ball that much most of the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, on any given night, you could have had Baker, you could have, I mean, a couple games Yaboa went off, um, McConnell contributed, Caleb Young contributed, Juan Harper Jr., they had a Montez Mathis, up and down the roster, guys that could make big contributions. So it was a team full of contributors, but without without a real star. A star. That's fair to say. Although you know, Baker could be that guy, but he is going to be a senior next year. But so. you know, the flip side is one of the reasons nobody emerged as that player is because the shooting just was never. They never had the go-to shooter. That's fair to and say. And that is a big reason that they struggled in games where they did not control the boards because. They absolutely have an identity, 
which you know is very much to Peichel's credit. Uh, they have an identity, and that is they're going to control the, the the boards, and they're going to try to out-physical you. So that, basically, you can tell whether or not they won the game by looking at whether or not they won the rebounding battle. A lot of the time, yeah. There was also some evidence that later in the season, that sort of hard-edged style play ground them down a little bit because they did drop more games, but they also had a back-loaded schedule. Um, but there shouldn't be any mistake, though. They were absolutely going to be a tournament team. because I think the Maryland win right at the end of the regular season is what clinched it for them. The thing that would have hurt them was is maybe a unique resume item in that they did not win their first... They did not get their first road win until the last game of the regular season. And they, to their credit, they managed to get it against Purdue, which is a very difficult place to play even when Purdue is not any good. Um... So they end up finishing fifth place in a brutally difficult Big Ten, which is by far their best season since joining the conference. And there's two ways to look at that. One is that the trapezoid is just too terrifying. It's just absolutely a terrifying trapezoid. But I don't necessarily believe that because I I, I believe that that sells the team short. I think a more plausible explanation is simply that the margin between what a ref will call at home and what they'll call on the road, as far as fouls are concerned, the types of fouls that you incur while rebounding are such that Rutgers' strategy is a little bit less effective on the road because they'll be in more foul trouble. And when you can't adapt to that, which Rutgers did not have the shooting to do, it's, it's just going to lead to, I mean, in my opinion, that explains the massive split in road and home games. I've also tended to think that the really the, the straightest road to winning on the road in this conference is to have a star player capable of winning a game between closely matched teams. Um, you, so what you're saying not is exactly a, a guy that they're not going to call that many fouls on. A guy they're not going to call that many fouls on and a guy who's going to make shots in a hostile gym in a big moment. So that's so exactly the kind of player that, that we just Rutgers, said Rutgers yeah, doesn't have. We just have. said Rutgers really doesn't have. Um, but yeah, it, a guy having a guy like a Cassius Winston, an Io Dasunmu, a Luca Garza, an Anthony Cowan, that makes a difference between winning some of your road games and losing almost all of them, which is what happened to Rutgers. Um, but again, none of this is to is to belittle the team's accomplishment because again, I this think is that their best sti- season in a long time. I think that their style um, of play, you know, is a big contributing factor. When you look at their overall body of work, that's a real accomplishment. Um, what what they did can't be taken away from them just because the split between home and road games was so enormous. Yeah. And and this was, make no mistake, one hell of an accomplishment. This is like uh, I mean Let's see, what, what's the next milestone to fall? It's Indiana beating Ohio State in football, isn't it? Because this one was... this Earning a tournament spot, which in my opinion they did, um, is, uh, is nearly as old of a streak as the Indiana-Ohio State thing. What was the last one, 91? Rutgers' last tournament was 91. Indiana's last win over Ohio State was, I believe, 87. Before that, yeah. I mean, that was like Anthony Carter time. Yeah. Or, uh, or Anthony, Anthony Thompson. Carter. Yeah, Anthony Thompson. Um, Son of a Tomp. So, last thing that we'll make a note of here, we mentioned that we have that Rutgers has a certain aesthetic. We certainly see that playing out in the recruiting class, and that he's brought in the next wave of Rutgers big boys. Um, 
Not that that's all that original in this conference. There's a lot of tall guys, but even for the Big Ten, Rutgers finds the biggest guys that they can, and their class reflects that. They've got guys at 6'7", 6'8", 6'10", and 6'10". Um, headlined by probably the best Rutgers recruit. I mean, I don't know, maybe Corey Sanders was like a top 80 player or something. Um, you know, they had the occasional four-star, but um, Cliff Omarui is a top 50 national center, and, you know, they've got these four guys coming in. The only reserve, the only guys who graduate are Shaq Carter, who's a reserve big, and then Yaboa, who is a one-year guy. But they return the entire bulk of their team intact, and so far... I don't believe they've had anybody transfer out, which in this offseason of college basketball, that is notable, to not lose anybody to Yeah, play. absolutely. Um, riddle me this. Would you say it's true that you're going to have less of a... If you're not an established blue-blood basketball powerhouse, you will more easily land a guard that's, or that's a top 50 type player than a center. I think so, a yes. big man, because... I feel like when you're a big man ranked that high, you those guys, in my experience, have tended to play it safe as far as their NBA career is concerned because they're, you know, their build, I think, just lends them more to NBA scouting. Like, this is a surefire NBA player because of the frame. Yeah. So I think they want to go to a place that's obviously an NBA factory. So That's interesting. I, I've always wondered if it might be... High-level guards are fine. Think that they can make anybody around them good, but a high le- but a high-level big man, unless they handle the ball in high school, understands that they need a capable ball handler to set them up. So um, I wonder if that might be. I'd be curious to see how the data bear this out, and maybe I'll get bored at working from home in the next few days, and we'll we'll see a, a big old numbers-filled article on that, but probably not. Sounds like a hell of a lot of work. Well, the other thing is... It's a little too basketball-oriented for me. You know, relative to the number of overall prep players that are high-level, the number of big men is always small. The guy, So the guys who are 6'10 or 7'0 and aren't complete, you know, bridge trolls who can't move out there, there's only so many of those. I mean, it's, they're basically like the very top-shelf offensive lineman, like the 6'6", 310-pound high school kid who's in shape. He runs and can a 4'5". Yeah, like, there's only a few of those guys, so... Got a 36 on his ACT. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> finite supply, and so they tend, you know, I think that the big men tend to be prioritized by big schools as well because you probably think that... You could probably think as a high-level coach that there's only so much difference between point guard number one and point guard number 10 but the difference between point center number one and center number 10 could be enormous so that would be my thought but who knows we've gotten a little bit into the weeds here your source for big and it's off tackle and